Well, it is so good to be together with those of you in the room and with those of you online. We're so grateful to share this moment with you. Uh, For those of you that are new with us, whether you're in the room or online, we're so grateful that uh, you chose to make us a part of your weekend. We're just grateful to share this time with you. I want to remind you, what was mentioned earlier, that we have a gift for you. We even have a gift for those watching online right now. Um, For those of you in the room, uh, we have a gift for you. And just a reminder to, after the service, go to the welcome table. Our host would love to give you a gift. So if you just take a moment, fill out that connection that card um, that's in the seat back of the chair in front of you and just take it back to that host in the back of the room. We'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. Hey, Westside, let's help everyone that's new with us as well as those watching online. Let them know how grateful we are to share this moment with them. Yeah, so good to hear. Have you here. So we've been in this series that we're calling Counterculture. And in this, we're looking at what it means to follow Jesus. And here's the reality. When Jesus came back to life, when Jesus rose from the dead, everything changed. Everything changed. And one big change was how the Jews who were Christians, those who followed Jesus and were of the Jewish culture, how they saw people who were different than their culture. That changed. How they saw people who were of a different nationality, that changed. And it changed how they saw even people who were of a different class. And what changed their view? Of the people next to them, it was what Jesus not just only said, but Jesus commanded them to do. See, these first century Christians began to think and to see and to live in a different way. They began to think like Jesus and led them to begin to live the way Jesus led them to live. Because that's what Jesus and Scripture do. And here's the serious big idea that we're looking at. See, Jesus and Scripture direct Christ followers to live counter to culture, not conform to it. This is how Jesus and Scripture lead those of us who put our trust in Jesus to live counter to culture and not conform to it. And there was nothing more counter to culture than the teachings of Jesus. We looked at this first, this teaching that when Jesus would come and, and he would get his, he would invite people to follow him. He would say, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross daily or die to yourself daily. And you must follow me. That this is nothing more counterculture than all of us because every one of us want to preserve ourselves. Every one of us, really, we want to live for ourselves. But Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to die to yourself. You must die, deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. Follow my way of life. And this is why Paul would write to a church in Rome And he would write this, therefore, and this was after he just told them amazing good news of the gospel of Jesus. He would say, that all I told you is therefore this, I urge you brothers and sisters in view. And I want you to just pause right here because how you see determines everything. In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to attest and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Knowing how God sees you, knowing how God sees you is so important because knowing how God sees you will change how you think 
and what you do. And in scripture, there is a word for changing how you think. It's called repentance. This word in the Greek language literally means to change how you think. It's to have a paradigm shift because how you think determines how you behave. How you think determines what you do in this life. And this is repentance, this change of mind, this paradigm shift. It's through repentance, through our change of mind that it leads to how, it change, how we change our behaviors. And when you see you, as God sees you, you're going to see yourself differently. We looked at this last week, how God sees you differently than we see ourselves. See, God sees you, we looked at differently, that we see that God sees us differently. We see that God sees you as his temple, that your body is the temple of God. And not just how you see you, but when you see how God sees you, you see how everybody, you see how everybody, how God sees everybody. And you'll see that everybody's body is the temple of God and, or the future temple of God. And so what do we do? We learned last week. We honor God with our body and we honor everybody's body as if they are the temple or the future temple of God. See, the resurrection of Jesus changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see all others. In view of God's mercy on you, it changes how you see the person next to you and even those who are unlike you. And I want to ask you a question today. How do you see and treat people who are completely unlike you? How do you see and treat people? Because how you see people will determine how you treat people. How do you see and treat people who grew up in a culture unlike your culture? How do you see and treat people who grew up um, with more money than you or less money than you? How do you treat people who you, have, you see and know then that you see that clearly they have more opportunities or clearly they have less opportunities than you? Who come from one nation other than your nation? See, how do you treat and see people or see and treat people who have a darker skin than you? And how do you see and treat people who have a lighter skin than you? See, if Jesus and Scripture direct our beliefs, it will then direct our actions. And then we have to clarify that, it, we, have, that and we have seen how Jesus shows us. That if Jesus and Scripture direct our beliefs, then Jesus has shown us that people are his temple or his future temple. And we got to see people that way. That Jesus sees all people. That Jesus, the creator of all things, see people differently than you and I see people. See, Jesus' resurrection verifies something amazing. And the reason I say Jesus' resurrection verifies, see, Jesus' resurrection verifies that God is the creator. Jesus himself would claim to be God, and Jesus would quote from Genesis and he, when he would quote, quote from this Hebrew scripture of Genesis, this Hebrew book would speak of the God is the creator of all things. And when God, the creator of all things, shows what he created and how he created and, and that he created it, he gets to this passage, Jesus quotes the scripture in Genesis 1 verse 27 that changes how you and I need to see everyone. So God created mankind in his I want you to underline this, highlight this however you can in your notes on your piece of paper or in your Bible. Own image. God created mankind 
in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Now, when Scripture is repetitive, as we see in this this poetic way of describing the creation count of humanity, when Scripture is repetitive, there's an important point that is to be made. Let me say that again. When Scripture is repetitive, there's an important point to be made. (laughs) Here's one of the points. Everyone is that God, well, first of all, God created humanity. This is it. God created humanity. And the second thing repeated is that this humanity, in the original Hebrew, it's Adam. It's Adam. It's not just Adam's name. It's the name he gives all humanity. Humanity, humankind, was created in God's image. So not only did God create humanity, but God created humanity in his image. And if we under, to understand what Imago Dei, this image of God, Imago Dei is the Latin translation. When the Bible was translated into Latin, it put the image of God as the Imago Dei. It just sounds cool to say. And the Imago Dei is God's own self-actualization in and through his humanity. It also reveals God's compassion for humankind. See, God com- created all humanity in his image. This means that those who are unlike you are masterfully made in the likeness of God. Those who are most unlike you are masterfully made in the likeness of our God in heaven. We are one human race with multiple ethnicities and nationalities. And we must learn to see those who are unlike us through what the cross and resurrection of Jesus means for this one human race. Because how you see people will determine how you treat people. And because Jesus in Scripture guided the belief and actions of the first century Jews, these first century Jewish Christians, these Christians who followed Jesus, they saw people differently. And they, they, and they saw people, and they, they viewed that if you see people different than Jesus sees people, and if you treat people the, different than the way Jesus wants them be, to be treated, that is wrong. James, the half-brother of Jesus, someone who didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was because he didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior of the world. He did not believe Jesus was God. His own brother did not believe he was God. And what would it take for you to, for your brother or sister to convince you they were God? Yeah, absolutely. You'd have to come back to life, wouldn't you? And that's exactly what convinced James that his brother was not just his Savior, but his brother was also his Lord. And when the, after the resurrection of Jesus, this changed how James saw people. So much that James would write this in James chapter 2. He would say, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. See, to treat one person with favoritism over another is sin. To treat someone based alone on their color, on their ethnicity, on on their class or their culture is a sin. See, it is a sin to disregard the image of God in someone by mistreating 
or ignoring someone according to their color, culture, or status. It is a sin to not see your neighbor as God sees your neighbor. It is a sin to not love your neighbor as God loves your neighbor. And as someone who has had the privilege to live in another country where racism was rampant and worldwide known as we lived in South Africa, I've learned something. And I say this respectfully and with all humility. See, racism is more than a system problem. I've lived in that world where the systems changed, but racism was still there. See, racism is more than a system problem. It goes down to the level of our heart. And this is where the gospel of Jesus starts. See, it's here. It's not seeing and loving someone that is unlike you as Jesus shows his love for you. It's not loving others that are unlike you in the same way that Jesus loves you. James said that loving your neighbor as yourself is doing what is right. And what is right is always just. What is right will always be what is just. And this is what Jesus would talk teach. It's what he would teach. And he would teach it in one of the most famous parable. A parable is where Jesus would create a a story. It wasn't a real story. It was a story, a metaphor, if you will, but it was more than a metaphor. It was a parable. It was a way to explain a kingdom truth, a way of his kingdom. And, and in this, you may, you may not be a Jesus person here today. You may be uh, someone who didn't grow up in the church or you don't know anything about what the Bible says, but you've likely heard the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is my request for you. For those of you that, um, that, um, that don't know this or as well, I, I hope that you open your mind today in this. And for those of us that are so aware of this that you could share this story, you could come up here and share it, I want you to listen to this through a new perspective and a new view today. Will you just open your minds with me? See, in, it's a, in this parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells it in response to a question, a question that I believe has existed in every culture, a question that you may be wrestling with today, a question that maybe you, be, you, you, you live with and you want to, to find out. And here's what it is. One, on one occasion, an expert in the law or a religious lawyer comes up to Jesus and stands up to test Jesus. He's wanting to test Jesus, okay? And he says this, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's not the question. However, that's a good question. And maybe you're asking that question today. But this is not the question that I think has been a part or the, the question I want to address today. And Jesus replies, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And this lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, it was straight A's up until this point. He he nailed it. But do you ever meet somebody and their question is not really the question? There's an issue behind the issue? And this is the issue behind the issue. And in this, see, we can be like this religious lawyer. We all want to find a reason 
Just like this religious lawyer who was representing a whole um, group of people. We all want to find a reason to justify not liking someone, much less justifying the need to love someone. See, the religious lawyer does something we all do. We look for loopholes, don't we? We look for loopholes to see if there's a reason or a way that we can justify not loving someone or not loving a group of people. And I want to just tell you, see, we all look for loopholes. You know what loopholes lead to, though? Loopholes lead to labels. See, when I look for a loophole, it gives me permission to add a label to a group of people. And loopholes lead to labels. And there's this cultural temptation See, there's this cultural temptation to justify who we dislike. We all have this cultural thing in us. It's it's really part of our selfish humanity to justify a person or a group of people that we do not like. And looking to justify our likes or dislikes is the beginning, is the seed of racism. If I can create a label for a group, then I don't have to treat that group in a certain way. And many people will look for reasons. Many people will go to the Bible, to Scripture, to to find reasons to justify what they believe, what they want to see, what they see. They want to justify how they see people. And so they're going to go to Scripture, and they're going to to go to Scripture to justify what they believe instead of going to Scripture to direct their beliefs and actions. And this, because people have gone to Scripture to justify how they want to see people, they've gone to Scripture, and this is what has led to racism being in the church for the years and the centuries that it was part of the church. People wanted Scripture to justify their dislikes, and they misappropriated Scripture to support their belief. See, we all need to admit that at some point, we have been like this religious leader looking for loopholes to justify our behavior, justify how we see, and justify how we treat someone, we that are just not like us and we dislike. And we need to hear this story in a new light. We need to hear this story that Jesus now shares, this to speak to you and I, because Luke recorded this, of this kingdom truth. And in reply, Jesus would say this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But... A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. I want you to underline that right there, because when he saw him, it led him to take pity on him. Just pause right here, because here's where the soundtrack would have kind of changed tone, and you would have heard the gasp of the crowd. As soon as Jesus would have said the Samaritan entered the story and did what? Because in that cultural day and age, the response was that with this Samaritan who was of a different 
color likely, and definitely of this different culture and a definite different class, would have done more, even so what the priest, the Levite, would have done. They would have, he would have definitely walked away on the other side. But Jesus says, the Samaritan who represented a group who was mistreated and seen as the lesser class compared to the Jews saw him and had pity and took pity on him. And Jesus continues. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? To which I believe that lawyer would have thought, maybe for hey, wait a second. Jesus, you forgot the original question. The original question is, who is my neighbor? But Jesus so masterfully gets down to the heart. See, Jesus changes the question to say, who was the neighbor to the one who suffered the injustice? Who was the neighbor to the one who suffered unjustly? And the expert in the law, the religious elite lawyer, replies, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus would look at this religious leader I believe with this just as much as compassion as that Samaritan looked at that robber. And he looked at that religious leader and he would say, go and do likewise. Go and do. Go and see people the same way. And when you see people the same way, you will have pity on them and can be moved with compassion and do likewise. Now, I want to make just an interesting observation here, especially in today's culture. And and notice here that Jesus doesn't say anything about the robbers. Because I want to know what happened to the robbers. I mean, that's what culture shapes us. Isn't that right? What happened to the robbers? Who make them, who's going to punish them for what they did to this man? I mean, this is actually what I want. It wasn't until a couple years ago that I was reading this and like, I wanted to know what happened to the robbers. And I began to get a little frustrated because Jesus never tells that part of the story. What happens to the robbers? Who's going to punish them? Who's going to serve justice on those who did the wrong to this man in the ditch? Who's going to serve justice? Who's going to make them suffer for what they did? See, that's where I want to go. And isn't that where you want to go? I mean, when someone wrongs you, isn't that where we naturally want to go? I want to see that person suffer as much as I've suffered, then there will be justice that's served. And I don't, let's just be honest, okay? It's not that I just sometimes want you to suffer as much. I want you to suffer more. 
then I suffered. And I don't want you to suffer as much as what you, the suffering you caused them. I want you to suffer more than the, what you caused them. And isn't that what we think of justice? I mean, isn't that how we think justice is? Seeing people suffer as much, if not more, for the pain that they caused? And Jesus' story that elevates this kingdom principle does not focus on the ones who did the wrong. Jesus' story shows that you and I are to be the neighbor by showing compassion to the one who suffers injustice. That you and I, this is our role, that you and I are to be the neighbors by showing compassion to the one who suffers the injustice. See, the neighbor was the one who had compassion and entered into the man's pain. This Samaritan, who was the one the Jewish culture disliked, who was the one that, the, that, that, that was oppressed by the Jewish culture, he became the model of what a neighbor should be. And it's also a picture, a beautiful picture of what Jesus, God incarnate, would do for all of humanity. Jesus would be the neighbor to us. Jesus would enter to our brokenness, show compassion, bind up our brokenness, and give us his riches. Jesus would empty himself. He would lower himself. He would get off his very own place of his seat of authority, and he would become obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that he could pick you and I up and restore you and I to life. This is love. This is how Jesus sees all of humanity as people, all humanity, broken by sin, robbed of life. And this is how Jesus sees you and Jesus sees all those around you who are unlike you. See, when you see how Jesus sees, you will love as Jesus loves. When you and I see as Jesus sees, you and I will love as Jesus loves. And on the night before he would go to the cross, Jesus would give a new command, a new command that would establish a new family and it would be a part of this new covenant where he's bringing all people together into one family once again. And he would say this to his disciples and this would be the marching orders. And if you get sick of me talking about this or you get sick of our church talking about this, you may need to find another church because this is literally what Christ has called all of us to do and we're not going to to stop doing what he tells us to do. He would say this, a new command I give you, love one another. And just so you and I can be clear what this love looks like, he would say, as I have loved you, so you must, so you are required to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. See, in view of my love, in view of mercy, and my love for you, now you must love one another. It's more than loving your neighbor just as yourself. It elevates it. Now it's loving your neighbor as Jesus has loved you. Now, if that's not direct, <laughs> I want to be a little more direct with you. See, there will never be an end to racism until Jesus comes back and until Jesus recreates a new heaven and creates a new heaven and a new earth. And until then, racism will be a part of culture. 
And racism will be a part of this. And while we cannot end racism in the world, I am required to end racism in me. And while we, you cannot end racism in the world, you are required, according to Christ's law at work within you, according to Christ's work in you, you are to end racism in you. We must cancel the racism in us. The church needs to be counterculture and end racism in the church. Jesus in Scripture leads us to see people differently. And when we see as Jesus sees, we will love as Jesus loves because there is no racism where there is love. There is no racism where there are a people who see people the way Jesus sees people and are moved to love people the way Jesus loves people. See, when you see all people as Jesus, their creator and savior sees all people, then you will love all people in the same way that Jesus, their creator and their savior loves them. Because where is love? There is no racism. There is no favoritism based on color, culture, or class. Racism is absent because love is present. Racism is the absence of love. See, when I love others, I'll selflessly sacrifice for others. And when I love others, I'll value others, as Philippians 2 would say, above myself. And that's humility. See, when I see all others through the lens of how Jesus sees and loves me, I will love all others selflessly. The parable of the Good Samaritan illustrates the kingdom way of living and shows us several things. First, it shows us that love enters into the pain of the one who is suffering. Love enters the pain of the one who suffered the injustice. Love demands that we enter that pain. And secondly, Love forgives the debt of the one who is sinning. The Samaritan took the penalty of restoring the man left for dead. He paid to make, ju- to make it right for the one. And the robbers didn't have to make that payment. See, love selflessly and sacrificially shows up. Just like Jesus showed up for all of us. And what Jesus would do on a cross for all humanity, he would take up upon himself the payment and the penalty for the injustice that everyone suffers. And all the injustice that was, it would be caused in the world, he would take it upon himself. And the first century disciples saw people in view of what Jesus had done for them. And the Apostle Paul would write about how God sees us and God treats us. Jesus would practice what he preached. And listen to this passage. I'm going to read this Ephesians passage. I just want you to listen to it. And I want you to listen to it in light of the parable of the Good Samaritan. So it's referenced in your notes. You might want to open up your Bible and look at it with me or just watch it up on the screens. But listen to this as we read. As Paul would say, like the rest We were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. See, we 
We're just like that man in the ditch, left dead in our sins. And just like the grace of the Samaritan saved that man, God's grace saves us. And this is what Jesus would do. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Just like that Samaritan would lift that broken man, left half dead, up onto his horse. See, God's grace comes into your place and lifts you up. And in order that into the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus just doesn't take the penalty for restoring us. He gives us access to all the riches of his inheritance, of his life. And just as the Samaritan promised to return and pay for any, of, any other needs, Jesus comes into your, my story and he promises that one day he will return. Amen. This is salvation. For it is by grace You've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to go and do likewise, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember those of you who are Gentiles, who are just like that Samaritan who was a Gentile. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. He's destroyed the barrier. He's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached to you who were far away. He preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, and with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. See, the cross of Jesus in his resurrection does the repairing work of reconciliation for those who are different. 
And he destroy and what and, and, and he does a repairing work of what racism has destroyed. And he has reconciled all people to trust who trust in him into one new humanity, God's family. See, Jesus' suffering served justice on the sins of all humanity, and we must remember this. We must trust in this. We will not end racism in us until we see that Jesus' death served justice on the sins of all people, including my own. See, trusting in Jesus' measure of justice empowers me. Trusting in Jesus' justice empowers me to have the strength and grace to forgive those who sin against me. And we must forgive each other. Because Jesus' love for us demands that of us. Because now we are part of one new humanity. And I see you. Not in view of how I see you, but I see you as Jesus sees you. And when I see as Jesus sees, I will love as Jesus loves. And I will see that we are reconciled together through Jesus' work for us so that we can love one another to be built together. See, Jesus did the perfect work of reconciliation to bring all of us into one new humanity. There is no other justice that needs to be served. There is only one thing we can do and must do. Go and do likewise. To love one another as God through Christ has loved each and every one of us. This is the work of God in you. And this is the work we were created to do. And so how can we do this? Well, this is where I want to just remind you of what we talk about here at our Westside family culture. It's this rhythm of bless. And I just want to end with this as the band comes out. We begin with prayer. We begin with prayer. This blesses an acrostic that stands for beginning with prayer. And this is the prayer. God, help me see people the way you see people and help me love them the way you love them because when I see as you see I'll love as you love and where there is love there is no racism in me and begin to listen listen to the story of someone unlike you this is a powerful way that you can understand them you can see through their eyes and their perspective understand their perception of reality and eat together something powerful there's actually nothing more powerful than sharing the table with someone who's unlike you and then the S, the first S is serve them. And I'd also challenge you to have them serve you. Not just meet their needs and enter their, work, be with compassion in them, but allow them with their giftedness and their, their, their masterpiece that God's made them to be able to serve you. And then last, share in the story of Jesus because Jesus has reconciled us all back to himself. And we all share in Jesus' story. And let Jesus and his work be the thing that brings us together be, and, and calls us to love one another as Christ himself has loved us. Because as we see as Jesus sees, we're gonna love as Jesus loves. And there is no racism where there is love. Because in Jesus, we are one human race. And there's nothing